0: I have to do that, you see. I have to drop my little chair so that I frame. <laughs> How are you? Jack Chew here. Weekdays 12 30 till one o'clock. And no guest on today. Don't all run away. Don't escape. If I see those numbers drop off, I'm just gonna get upset and stuff. I'm gonna try and have my mic discipline better today. I'm gonna try and stay put and not wave my head around too much. So let me know you can hear me okay. Hopefully the signal looks stable, everything looks to be working well. Thank you so much for those that have participated over the over the last few shows. It's been really interesting to get your feedback live and after the fact. But one of the things that I've uh, been challenged on recently is there's been an awful lot on PhysioMatters on this show, uh, on some of the PhysioMatters podcast network shows as well, about um, issues being discussed, like first contact practice. We had a podcast with Rob Goodwin that's gone down really well. We've had the culture of physiotherapy we discussed with Gita yesterday and there's a few different bits and pieces that make me really interested in in I'm I'm kind of only like a soft call out almost where people are saying look we're interested in what your take is on on an evaluation or an analysis of that and what their meaning is inviting me to talk big picture like what do I see excuse me of being the the challenges and opportunities that MSK practice faces in the UK at the moment because that's a a hat that I wear especially physio matters and MSKR stuff but also I've got my hand in clinically obviously with a private practice and I'm just generally interested across the piece so people have been baiting me to actually it's hilarious I never really thought that my opinion wasn't well known on some of this stuff but I suppose it's always a moving picture you know and some of my I think probably it's last year that people last heard my take on where we're up to on stuff um, and so i'm happy to t- happy to share that i'm sorry if you think i've not been particularly forthcoming you know I've daily shows and so for me i'm overexposed but it's interesting that you you feel like i even some claims that i've been dodging some of those issues um, I've noticed here that uh, I won Mr. Meekins as uh, firstly he was being nice, and I think he was helping me to say that my sound check was good with a little OK sign, and then he's gone straight for the hair banter, which is uh, the low hanging fruit. So, yeah, thanks, Adam. Haircut's looking ponderous. He's not sure. I don't know if it, I hope that's like a typo, an emoji related typo, uh, but uh, yeah, hopefully. Bye that of course nothing but banter that this crew cut deserves but yeah missus chu tue's been top draw on that you know she was cutting my hair a couple of weeks ago and she's just like this is me now isn't it right there's no, no need or want for you to go back to a barber's i'm, like, I'm sorry no it was like 10 30 and finally managed to wrestle the kids to bed and she's there shaving my head and it's just like oh yeah unless i can find a, a hairdresser that can do it at uh, such a demand um alistair beverly 100% you've been overexposed on here of late. <laughs> Absolutely. That's uh fair to say. He's mentioning uh, that he's coming at me from Periscope on Twitter. So unless he means particularly on Twitter, um, especially with all the therapy live stuff around. So fascinating then that some people would try and ask me my take on on some of that and and to unpack it. Especially around workforce. That's one of the things that people have been bothered about because I've been fairly vocal about what i think the challenges are for first contact practice and how it disrupts in some positive ways and some negative ways the industry um and so i want to kind of go there uh, today and i want to start by asking you your take difficult to probably put into a, a brief few words on the chat uh, but i'm interested in what you th- what you think if you can give me uh, the headlines of that. You don't have to give your, your. You know, it's a big question. So I accept that you're not going to necessarily have one word answers, but I mean, like, what do you see as being the opportunities and challenges? Like what's the most exciting thing and what's the least exciting thing or most challenging thing that you think we're facing? So something like, you know, first contact, obviously can fall into both of those and it does, but also, yeah, recruitment, workforce, what, what challenges are you facing? But also then what opportunities do you think are knocking in terms of reputational lift on the, on the industry? You know, how, how do you see, us being able to take advantage in many ways of the emergence from the pandemic and and, and all the opening back up of, of, of sports facilities of leisure of, of getting some sort of normal. Uh, what's your what's your opinion on on those opportunities too? And I'm happy to share them today. Um, what I want to start with then is the fact that to me there is a massive massive opportunity that comes from the way in which we can reset and open as the world opens back up and people are then starting to do more interesting things with their bodies i think there is a vulnerability especially for those that have been less active or at least things people have been doing different things with their bodies in the disrupted time that we've had for over 12 months massive modified lifestyles pretty much across the board you know there are certain circumstances where you can imagine people's what they're asking of their body hasn't changed much, but generally speaking, it's quite significant. And so that can go uh, be in two ways. One is which people have been more idle for, or or less active in various different ways for work, for function, for um, chores, for um, sport and exercise, of course, they've done less, but then there's also those that have done more. They've had more time on their hands. they are taking up more running. We know we've had spikes in metrics for couch to 5k, that sort of stuff. Uh, especially in the times where you were meant to only leave your house for an hour a day for exercise and stuff. People were making sure that then suddenly they were craving a massive, massive walk. So whilst the, the opportunity that knocks there for MSK is the fact that I think that for both those reasons, for those that are going to be doing less and those that are going to be doing more, that change in you know circumstances and the forces that are put through our body, if we're thinking sort of load centric terms, but also the, you know psychosocial difference is going to be meaningful now i hope we could say that that's going to be positive positive in that you know people are going to be able to socialize again and stuff like that. The psychosocial benefits but unfortunately that means sometimes for some people it's re-exposure to a workplace they don't enjoy and they might be missing working from home or it's re-engagement with friends and family of which um bring with it challenges and stresses and, and difficulties especially when we're all going to be awkward in those early stages you know i'm hearing about patients of open openly sharing conflicts in uh in their houses with regards to differences of opinion in uh covid hesitancy you know like people that are wanting to and um, you know i'll meet in a beer garden and they're going in for a hug and then getting arsy with them for the fact that that's not really how they're feeling about it not quite ready for that yet and stuff and it's like the various different new things that are coming between people it means that that i think that whilst them are scary and these things are precursors for injury directly but i just think that we know that a change in circumstances and what we ask of our bodies and what we ask of our systems in general i think that probably will be influencing people's symptoms people's wants and needs i think people are going to then therefore not imagine this something that you might have been able to live with when you're just pottering around your house but then when you're wanting to get back uh, and the weather improves, you know, I think the seasonal, there's a seasonal effect to this as well. If the weather does improve, um, that people are going to be getting out and about more and, and the, yeah, the knee problem that they might have managed all right at home emerges itself. As soon as they want to walk more than half a mile a day, that could happen. Um, you know, it could, it could be that there's therefore a, a need. I think there is going to be a spike in need, a spike in demand. We're also seeing that, you know, the data is playing out on that I've heard. From various different NHS services, they're back up to 95% demand. Private practice, you know, it's busy uh, in many ways for inquiries. Um, different locations have got different styles of, um, you know, lockdown scepticism, and I think that matters. You know how how uh, where that delay has been. You know, some practices have been really busy sooner than others. Uh, but i think that, that that makes a difference and i think that that's one of the things i wanted to come to so th- these are i'm just listing what i think is the the key opportunity is that i think that there's a massive need for us if we step into it now i would always argue that that can be you know taken well in that we can take advantage of that opportunity by being the people that can help them get from where they are to where they want to get to do a thorough examination and then analyze their problem and understand all the factors affecting it and then come up with functional solutions that can then rehabilitate them to back to where they want to get to not even back to where they want to be and to hopefully with re- reasonable limits on goals um achieve what they want to achieve if we can be those people oh, well, the opportunity is huge um across sectors um whereas unfortunately that that, that opportunity just for demand can therefore go uh, a negative way for me in which the industry at large if it was to if it was to take that opportunity and therefore suck people into um over analysis of you know, a style of practice say that that I'm I'm, like, I'm less into. So, if we instead of um, doing what I just described as uh, being my, my preferred style of practice, you then end up getting people in, and, and therefore it becomes almost like treating them like machines. You know, it's like, oh, more people, more MOTs essentially, like, oh, you know, this is fine, but you're moving badly and you need to come and see us for this being corrected and that being corrected. Or there's a, a, a sort of secondary exploitation of the opportunity just because there's a demand, they then it's tempting to then become complacent and start thinking, well, let's retain, let's, let's retain these, these patients, or let's try and fix the problems arbitrarily and not necessarily collaborate with them to empower them and to actually resolve health problems and to encourage them towards a more fit and healthy lifestyle or whatever. You know, there's there's an opportunity that demand brings that can also then be taken advantage of. And I don't necessarily mean by unscrupulous people. I'm just meaning like generally they, um if you're back to back you know with with, with patients then you know complacency sets in in, in various different ways and uh, and i can understand why in many ways so i'm not just talking about people being like fraudulent i'm talking about people that um, you know that opportunity knocks for demand and then the style of practice piece is really relevant to me and i think that sometimes that can take uh be taken advantage of so then the the challenge is for me that because of the way that the NHS shut down many of its services, not all, not completely, you know, let's not pretend that that that, that happened, but definitely there was a massive disruption to standard care, um, particularly in the NHS in a prolonged way, you know, and that can be disruption to um, orthopedic surgical lists, through to care uh, services going just remote, and then not just going remote, but also there were many services that I heard about where they had contacted everyone on their current lists and their waiting lists and said well maybe it was most of which actually was the waiting list but some of which the existing patient base got evaluated and triaged for urgency and therefore was sent a note to say we're starting from scratch if you still have a need based on these criteria then you need to re-refer yourself and that process of, of of starting that again has meant that the, I'm hearing from people about significant waiting lists, particularly on the NHS, which we know is one of the draws to if someone's got now, let's say, that knee problem I've just described where they were fine pottering around the house, but the world opens back up a bit and then they are um the kind of wanting to get back out there and get back going again. I would say that they um they go to let's say they go to their GP, which is classic, isn't it? Go to their GP and and say we have got sore knee, doc, and they say, oh, going, you should go and see a physio for that. All right, you a referral. That referral goes in. They either find out at that point or at some point that that's then seven weeks wait or whatever it might be. It's what I'm hearing a lot about recently, including locally from what I understand. And they therefore think, well, this is something that's bothering me sufficiently for me to not want to wait that. And therefore, they then seek help in in private practice. And that's been happening quite frequently. There's a massive recruitment problem, as far as I'm aware. So I'm talking about challenges now is that that's a good thing in some ways, good for private practice in many ways. But it's also something that I'm a firm believer in for the point of access healthcare in this country. I like that as part of our safety now. I think MSK care is something that is it'd be really stupid for us to then think that that's non, non-essential. non um, And and it should be a real cornerstone. I would say this, but it should be something that as an entry point, I think it's a really important point of keeping people moving in order to try and decrease the mental and physical health sequelae that can occur from inactivity. So people can develop a back or knee or shoulder problem that then disrupts their normal behaviours in such a way that they can lead to more serious disease Um, And therefore I want that as being a provision on the NHS and I want it to be accessible. I want it to not have high weights. I want it to be quality and all my projects are based on that. Um, And so the fact that that's not then accessible in such a way that that then moves people into private practice, then that's all well and good as long as private practice can serve that need. So I've been hearing from so many different practices about a recruitment problem because there just isn't the therapist to go around now. One of the things that then is happening is that some are then trying to draw from the NHS. So even though there's a demand and a need everywhere, what the private practice is able to do is be a bit more nimble about what they charge, right? So the NHS is busy. Say the clinicians are busy with back-to-back patients with all the other bureaucracies that can occur. They've got cleaning schedules, they've got PPE, they've got various different things that are sort of disrupting their work patterns. And also I'm hearing from people that are saying that there's a, a difference in clinical need in terms of people that are sort of re-emerging from lockdowns or there's there's a sort of social urgency to get better in such a way that then there's an impatience a social awkwardness that's occurring from people that haven't communicated with others for a while including some you know therapists are been always working but you know generally speaking everyone's a bit rusty on interactions to some degree so there's a lot of stress from what i'm hearing now they're getting back into practice and um and therefore maybe a bit not quite burnt out perhaps some, some are, but but not quite burnt out, but more just like, is the grass greener, you know, they're, they're evaluating their jobs. They've got sort of, you know, your your classic stereotypical band six job in, in an MS care department and they're sort of weighing up their options. And that whilst they're weighing up their options, they then have got 17 different local private practices that are crying out for therapists because they're at the top of their current capacity. And so they are then it's very much a buyer's market um and what that can be drawn on there is that the private practice can they can say well let's let's try and work out what a salary package or a perks package or working hours or make it more flexible or you know all sorts of different things that they can do that that typically NHS services can't do they can't necessarily what is, from what i understand in the hr terms job craft around each individual and i think that 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 may- Makes for an interesting dynamic, whereby they try to into there. Now, I've talked a lot about, and I sometimes over romance this job in band six clinician in MSK departments, because I just think that they are what makes all the cogs turn across all the sectors. Right, it's just this 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 classic role. It's so important to improve the quality rehabilitation that occurs there. This. That mechanism I've just described in private practice—that's putting pressure on and tempting them over—and and so be it if they move. You know, they make their own decision on that. It's a totally reasonable force um, and and a sensible thing for them to to get what they can for for their labour and to balance their life um, appropriately. You know, if that means that there's more evening and weekend work so they can then have their kids on on Wednesdays and Thursdays, then crack on. You know, it's a shame, but unfortunately, NHS services aren't able to be offering that flexibility at this point in time. Some are, some aren't. Um, but there's also this uh, first contact thing. So FCP, that's uh, for those that don't know, which would be strange in this audience, uh, but um, essentially then in primary care, physiotherapists working at the first point of contact in GP practices uh, as as sort of screened by, say, a receptionist to sit and come and someone presents to general practice with a sore knee to see a physio instead of a doctor, it's classically the thing. And there's um, money from NHS England and, and elsewhere that's supporting those things, you know, central government has supported that as a scheme. And therefore people are moving into to those roles. And so that's a draw from that senior, you know, especially senior sixes and, and, and sevens and stuff from what would be a, a sort of jobbing within in a service. Some of them are linked and appropriately integrated. So I do accept that you know best practice models mean that people sometimes have FCP shifts within their role or they have split roles and stuff. But some are just taking those roles as a as a pay rise, as a move, as a, that's where the industry's going. I'll give that a go for a bit, and I quite like assessments, and I'm less into treatments and stuff like that, you know. Or they are ESPs that are um, old money ESPs that are then enjoying and wanting to do that sort of front end triage thing. A lot of the time, though, for the rehab needs, they would then be referring people into the services of which they vacated. So who's backfilling their posts? If you've got that bleed to FCP and you've got that bleed to private practice, you then end up with this, any, any vacancies that can occur within the main body of the system, within that sort of five, six, seven base of rehab therapists and MSK departments, then if you're not fulfilling the demand, if the demand's still there with referrals, but you're not, you know, the waiting lists go up, you know there's other there's other release valves that can occur uh you've then got this interestingly what happens then is you get a swelling of the locum market which has been more recently more in recent years been more highly regulated in terms of what hourly rates locums can create and so they might then need to lift that cap in order to backfill and then the mo- model becomes really unsustainable because you're not able to generate that interest in in those roles and departments and some of the stability and security that people were craving for that you know that one of the big draws was you know significant amounts of annual leave um relative to to other sectors often um the security for for pensions and the um the general stability that comes from those roles relative to pretty much any other in any other sector you know there's a massive amount of stability that comes from working in what is the what is it the second or third biggest employer of people in the world for the nhs you know after like, Chinese rail or something like that and indian steel or something i forget but it's like a massive employer of people there's something massively there's a massive job security that kind of comes with that um especially in such a buyer's market so obviously yes your service could be taken over by a company in, in the independent sector but you know the way in which they get chewed over and stuff there's just a general stability to be able to sell your labor at an agenda for change rate Of which you know you might not be pleased with said rate and many aren't but generally speaking that's a pretty stable job and so i've described one take admittedly you know there are a few of the moving parts i could put in play there but there's a few different things that when i'm talking about challenges i think that is the biggest challenge is that you're just going to have this brain drain from what i think are the cornerstone posts in the in the country and you know i'm this is the, the thing that I say that as someone that' be able to add most clinical value. that's probably what I would say would be me and my skill set as a sort of job inclination in a standard MSK department within say the community in which I live so I understand those demographic needs. I think that's like a, a really important and valuable role that is then being pressurized from multiple different angles. And that concerns me. I think that's a challenge that is complex to, it's a complex analysis, but it's also a complex thing to solve. Um, but I see it as being a real important one. I think if we don't try and resolve that and try and work together on it, um, then, then I think we're gonna, yeah, the bubble will pop on that really. Now, I'm not without my suggested solutions on it. Uh, the big one being, um, I've covered the, t- the two main factors I've just described as being pressure on that, on that workforce and the instability of the model one is that you know, in private practice i think that there's better integrations to, to deal with those those backlogs so there are ways in which i think we could um not have to you know i don't mean suddenly you've got private practices complying with the, the um any qualified provider style schemes to take on nhs patients i think that's kind of the low-hanging fruit but generally speaking the tariff-based care on that is something that if you private practice is getting patients that are willing to pay 65 quid an assessment Um, they're not suddenly going to be bending over backwards to take on patients that they might then, you know, get paid 28 quid or whatever the tariff might be for those patients, because they're the same patients, paid a different way. Um, If they don't need to, they don't need to. You know, one of the things that's been a popular uptake of those sorts of contracts before is sometimes that, you know, standard and stable model of which you can build your staff base on Whereas if those patients are coming into private practice anyway, that motivation to take on those contracts isn't. So I think we need to be more creative then about how we link in uh, between sectors in, in localities and also create blueprints when it's being done well. I'm hearing some stories that come about where um, NHS trusts and, and local private providers are, are able to work sensibly and ethically together well. And, and I think that those stories need to come forward and we need to use those as case studies and templates for how we could do it elsewhere. I think on the first contact front, I think that there's just a lot of work being done including on this show really to have some warts and all conversations about where we're up to with that i think that that's one of the big one of the big challenges that we face that i've mentioned is is the um the role itself not being for everyone and that it not being i mean rob goodwin mentioned on his podcast on physio Matters recently about the, somewhat somewhat inflexible in many ways you know if it could be if it could be more obviously tailored to local needs or the legacy services that they work that they're bringing them into are very different um you know and they they're often different for relevant reasons um and so if it could be more tailored if it could be more um less less specific with how it has to be implemented based on the um yeah, the implementation guidance that's been provided over those roles then maybe that can be a bit more of a sustainable model my suggestion as i, I sort of hinted to before is if those roles are integrated and well linked to um the departments and, and services that i'm talking about and so people have got first contact days rather than first contact roles if people have got um a spread of different opportunities there that might help them to to develop their careers, but also not have to hang their hat on one thing. You know, I'm hearing from friends of mine that are sort of torn, you know, admittedly saying, look, I, I don't think I'm going to fancy that role, to be honest. I think about the job, I've done a few trial shifts, I've shadowed some people. I don't fancy it necessarily, but, you know, I'm stagnant. I've been stuck for a while at the rate of pay, rate of responsibility I'm at. And so I feel like I'm going to need to give it a go, at least for a bit. Um, I totally understand it. I'm sympathetic to that, you know, I think that that's a, an understandable force really and for some people it unlocks a massive opportunity and I think that drawing quality therapists nearer to the start of care to give the right information is its such a funny one because the opportunities that not with first contact are enormous, but the challenges are ones that I think aren't being navigated necessarily so well. It's easier said than done, you know, it's something that obviously I'm not, I'm not in. in you know, I'm sure everyone's doing their best in that. You know, there's plenty of people that are working hard on this sort of stuff, but I just think that um, it's fascinating uh, for me, how, uh, how we need to understand the instability um, and, and then try to offer solutions that will, help rather than hinder. Um, One of the things that I wanted to to come to is that the way in which, you've you've probably heard me talk about this quite a lot really, is that the MSK workforce across physios, osteos, sports therapists, sports rehabbers, MSK doctors, podiatrists, occupational therapists, particularly in sort of the pain and uh, functional rehab space, I'm missing others you know there's, there's plenty of others but also fitness professionals and, and exercise physiologists s and c coaches where appropriate just fascinating on the utility of that diversity that professional diversity to solve some of these problems you know it's just a weird one i think that one of the things that's sometimes naive is even if you sort of i'm not i'm i know the numbers on this right i know that you, you you're dealing with numbers cumulatively it make a big difference right so i think it should be you know more posts should be more available for that professional diversity especially for if you can just demonstrate quality and competence independent of your professional badge but also that doesn't solve all of it because physiotherapy has been such an overwhelming um, majority of msk care delivery that then you've got Far smaller numbers in each of those those professions that I've just described, um, and also it's not it's not always dead. You know, it's not simple. I'm not I'm not sort of suggesting that you could just open up those job roles and it's, everything's okay. It needs to be managed and monitored. For example, you know, what what MSK patients could be sensibly triaged to your average podiatrist? For example, is it all lower limb? So you are getting podiatrists seeing and uh, seeing a impingement when it, there's no indication of a of a Foot and ankle based solution in most of those cases. Are they competent to appropriately manage triage, rehabilitate, screen that when someone presents with groin pain? You know, it's like you know, the, the the complex uh, advanced practice triage that can occur. there, some some yeah knock your spots off with that. But I don't I don't know the competency framework of that as an entry point of a profession for that to be if there's a lower limb role somewhere a lower limb advanced practice role as to how how far down the limb does it need to go for podiatrists to be either the best people to, to see those or or amongst the best team it's it's complicated but there are um certainly that conversation needs to mature in order for us to sort of stabilize it and to turn this into a proper opportunity um, and also i think what's funny is that if we don't do that across the board across sector then, um, amusingly, the places that can move fastest, namely the independent, uh, private sector, small private practice, will, m- will mop up and there'll be plenty of people that uh, that don't like that. You know, this, this any any sensible private practice is going to be just like, well, I don't give a I don't give a shit whether they're a physio or not. I'm going to get this graduate sports rehabber who's really up to speed and really in keeping with our sort of morals, ethics, and practices in this in this clinic, and will work under our brand proudly. We don't give a monkeys, our patients don't give a monkeys exactly what it says on his degree. We don't take insurance patients anymore because that's that's crap as well. We're just taking cash payers and they're brilliant and they're getting people better and we measure our outcomes in this way. And everyone's a member of MSKR because we really care about quality standards and come by our but I'm just meaning that that I've just described is a, something that can happen tomorrow, right? You don't, you don't need systematic infrastructure change. You need a, a change in mindset many times by people that are doing the recruiting in these private practices, but some of those clinicians, and that's some of them, you know, it's not, not across the board, you know, I'm not suddenly saying that they're, they're, they're without faults so or you don't get people that are of shit in, in every different profession, but I'm just meaning that those that can get ahead, do and they will do so because they can move much quicker so if the industry itself doesn't sort of think cleverly about those opportunities that might knock then um then yeah basically the, the sort of independent practices run away from it and and some people won't won't be happy with that um and i don't understand why you know because it, it becomes something that's then you know, we still end up with that sort of pseudo regulation problem that occurs across msk whereby it's really difficult for us to self regulate there's a lot of taboos around it and stuff and so you end up with this 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 challenge this, some of the more some of the challenges only get perpetuated so. Um, so what i'm going to i'm just going to open up my uh, chat comments again i've got a lovely you see counter to, to making this point nice hair fiona said oh this breaks my heart. I've been quite pleased with this episode, this this monologue. Um, and apparently the audio is crackly. So damn, that's really annoying. I'm really sorry. Um, I should have checked that a few more times, really. I relied on bloody meekins. He'd give me a, an okay sign, and I thought it was okay. So I should have left the comments open. I'm really sorry, guys. Um Zach Reed, what's Zach saying? Thank you, tuning in, Zach. There are thousands of graduate sports therapists and graduate sports rehabbers that don't get full-time opportunities in private practice or NHs at the appropriate level as these opportunities are almost exclusively physio only. if it's a problem with competency levels how can we bridge that if these roles oh I don't want to read the rest of this and I can't see it So a look if these roles are accepted what needs to change to get more of these roles opened up Zach wow you read my mind or oh, did you post that before I got I read your mind I didn't see this comment and I've just spoken to it so uh, thanks so much for for that completely agree. I hope um, what I just said speaks to that. And if it doesn't, let me know, drop me another comment, or come on the show if you fancy it. And um, we can unpack that a little further, uh, because we're out of time. So I'm really sorry. I'd love to have had a of back and forth with you about that. Because I agree. Uh, I want to answer your questions. I think that's probably one for another show. How can we bridge that gap? <laughs> MSK? Um, yeah, quality-assured standards in in uh, the excellence framework that was provided on that, like what what? how can we aspire to a value set that's similar and aspire people to functional gain and not be siloed by interventions? That's what the argument is in the chapter of the manifesto. So go to reform.org.uk although mskr.org.uk does work as well uh, and download the manifesto for re- reform, look at the clinical excellence chapter. Uh, Fiona's then replied to Zach, we have more graduate sports therapists and sports uh, rehabbers in our team now than physios wow great asset to the team that's really interesting Phil. and i'd love to hear from you and please you know let me know if you fancy coming on the show to talk about your experiences with that because i think done well that's the way it's going to go and you know interesting i don't i don't think i've heard of practices that then have tipped the balance the other way now so they're in the majority i think that's really interesting um Gemma said that it wasn't crackling all the time. Awesome as always, my friend. Well, thank you so much. I will finish with that lovely comment. That's brilliant. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm sorry if there has been some intermittent crackling I need to probably sort that out. It's a fancier mic than I probably need, but I hope I kept my mic disciplined and and you've been able to hear me loud and clear even when it's been a bit crackly. So uh, apologies for that. Really interested to hear your thoughts and thanks so much. I'm sorry I can't get to all the comments and I'm well into overtime now, Uh, but this is one that will roll on. I want to hear from you about it i want you to come on the show about it it's like such an important big picture topic um and i also want to know if you think i'm just wrong like there is a bit of a I actually put in the description about my optimism i will leave you with this i am inherently optimistic i've created some ridiculously ambitious projects that are inherently optimistic and yet despite that disposition i think that inherent instability that exists in the middle of the road msk practice particularly in the nhs which i think are cornerstone roles in our industry it's so vulnerable and i do worry about that i'm quite pessimistic about that at the moment because i don't think the maturity of the conversation is there i don't think the powers that be are really sensing it i don't think we have set the scene to be able to have those conversations without there being really deep ideological rifts that can develop there um with regards to sort of skepticism of profit in healthcare. it's just you know it's just a bit of a childish conversation that usually emerges from that um you know ideological uh, you know um basis of, of of poor ethics of what the price point should be and how that should relate to salary Uh, is also one you know on the other side of it so there's a few different things that make me a bit pessimistic I'm afraid at the moment and I'm sorry for that because I'm I'm not used to it but uh, I know that this show will always be a place in which we can have that out sensibly and hopefully try and move the needle towards progress I've mentioned it a few times but you know we've got some real cool tricks up our sleeve uh, planned for MSKR with MSKR um, to, to to try and solve some of those. And you can hear about those at the Thinking in Public stream at Therapy Life. So there's a Therapy Live plug to finish with as well. Right, I'm going to clear off. I said I would, and I said that about 10 minutes ago, didn't I? So bye for now, and uh, thanks for joining. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you tomorrow with Obi Hassan. We're doing Finance Friday. So those that are in private practice, or at least interested in their own financial health, then join us with, with Obi tomorrow. We're going to get really stuck into some forecasting and business growth stuff for those private practices as described today that are booming. So some top tips from him uh, and some information about his, his latest events as well. So take care. I'll see you tomorrow.